You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewinds, presented by Modern Soccer Coach. That's what you call USA razzle-dazzle. Now your host, Clifton Bush. And it is a big day for us here on the NWSL Rewind. We have what is the last show officially of the 2018 NWSL season. And we are ecstatic to be joined by the modern soccer coach himself, uh, presenting to you the NWSL Rewind throughout the rest of this year. Uh, Gary Kernin is here live in the flesh with us today. How's it going, Gary? Good, good, Clifton. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, a bit of a strange twist of turn being a guest on a podcast uh, in the modern soccer coach sphere today. I don't know how I'm going to do this without asking you questions back and forth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for the audience. So ready to hear somebody else i'm sure no i think i think this is a you are the guest and <laughs> this this particular show i'm the host so you get to answer the questions but really realistically we just want to kind of cap the season off and and we have a great interview as well on this one we have sean nahas assistant coach and uh director of coaching for nc courage fc youth so i mean after coming off of their win in the in the championship for the full team and all that he's doing with their youth development teams. It's a great interview. Definitely take a listen, but uh, we're going to finish off with Gary here. And uh, basically one question after working for the year, uh, first season with Chicago red stars is just tell us how it was, how the year went, how did you feel an amazing, another playoff run probably starting from fifth, sixth position and making a run at the end of the season. Uh, to get into that playoff contention. So tell us about the year at Chicago Red Stars. The year at Chicago Red Stars was really, really enjoyable. I suppose I went into it with a blank slate in terms of not knowing what to expect and really, really excited. I was really excited about more access to the players and kind of what they were bringing to the table and obviously looking at our roster before taking the job and the Red Stars and who was there and the players we had, I was really excited about working with them and it, it met every expectation and it sounds cliched and you know, I felt as if we went on a journey with the team, with, with Rory bringing in a new staff and, and changing the way we played and putting some new processes into place off the field and, and then having the players and the injuries we had, I felt it was a real journey and it was good to have that that finish. Uh, unfortunately, you know, falling short in the semi-final was disappointing but I think overall the experience that the staff had and the experience that the players had, I think was a really positive one. And it's good to, you know, the, the thing for me is the level, yep, it's professional sports and it's wins and results are so yeah. important, but it's so refreshing to like draw from the experiences from it. And that was the biggest thing for me was like the results were, it was nice to get wins. It was nice to win it, you know, it meant, People feel good on Monday mornings, but oh, the the process that these players go through is just it's just so inspiring, and to see that there up close was really really good. Yeah, I mean, as a timeline goes, it's you know January comes, massive trade, Sam Kerr, uh, Kristen Press, Carly Lloyd, and then a month or so later, you're finding out you're going to the Chicago Red Stars to be on the coaching staff. It's seems like a whole new everything was new except for maybe rory dames <laughs> you know it's so that process of like bringing people together i'm sure it took a little bit of time and then now you've 
you know, gone into the end of the year? How does it, how did that feel trying to develop a whole new style, a whole new group, a whole new personalities, all the things that come with, with the changing that the tons of change that happened in Chicago this year? Yeah, it, it was again, really interesting. The process of coming together is so valuable, but it's the, you know, the, in the college game, you almost go into 24-7 mode because you've only got yeah. seven days to do it. So everything's culture this and culture that. And the preseason period being long and the fact that the you know there's just more soccer conversations in that, which is what I, I was really looking forward to on the front side of it. Then it's the, the fact of which players are going to play roles in leadership. Those conversations are, I think, the same in club and college. Yeah, the aspect of coming together, it's the same. The staff have to come together. The players have to come together. You have to try and connect the dots. What are you trying to do tactically that's different? And then understanding kind of what's in place. And that was a learning process for me personally was, you know, you've got to, you've got to have an appreciation. You know, I've done how many culture podcasts over the past two to three months. The consistent theme of a lot of them are that are you aware, aware enough of the of the culture that already exists and can you read that culture and then can you kind of respect that culture and then add value to that culture and i know obviously you can't do that in five years otherwise people will be like well what's he doing here just checking out <laughs> yeah. a culture so that value piece is is important but you have to be able to read the culture first uh, and that was really interesting to me because it was just so different uh, so I mean, the culture part, part of that has to be huge is like how you communicate with people is probably a, a fair bit different maybe in college <laughs> or at the youth level than it is when you're talking to Casey Short and Katie Naughton and Alyssa Nair. What was the, talk to us about what, what that communication looks like. Like, how is that different? How did you have to kind of alter yourself to talk to these players uh, and connect with these players to get the information across that you're trying to actually develop in them. Yeah, uh, so many things. Like These players are aware of what they need, yeah. obviously, because they're professionals, but you have to get your information right. Now, as coaches, you're conditioned. We are conditioned as coaches to almost look at all the uh, – thinking the players need all the information we, we, we want to give them. The difference, I think, from a college player is that when you talk to a college player in an individual, a one-to-one -one meeting, you're talking to that player, there's full engagement, like that player is loving every minute of this. If they're not getting a, a shouting at, this is this is their dream, like they're getting feedback on their game. This is great. But this player, you know, bear in mind that this player at the pro level has probably had that for five, ten yeah, years. Yeah. So now you're like, they, they want to get to the information as quick. What have you got for me? And do I need it? And even though you think that they do need it, that doesn't necessarily mean that they think that they need it. So you have to get your information spot on. And that's where I think the video is so important. That's where I think the connections is so important. That's where I think understanding players of where they're at is so important. It's not where the coach sees the game. It's where the player sees the game. And then you're trying to just elevate that if you can, or maybe just add perspective. But many's a time I've gone up to these players and tried to, put information in and you just know within three seconds that that didn't stick and you've put a window of opportunity here. So I enjoyed that because now you've, you know, you're thinking, right, I've got, I'm going to go and speak to her about that, but I just can't go up and start raving like I'm doing now. I have to make sure that it's, I've got a window probably of 30 seconds to get in the door here. 
And if that window of opportunity closes, she's going to be very, very respectful. She probably will keep talking to me, but you know she's disengaged with the point. And that, I love that. I love that. It's, it's almost making your impact, changing how you coach in editing more than like, I need to, I think sometimes we think you look at a professional coach and you're going, man, the depth of their tactical knowledge is so huge and they must be able to give these players so many nuances yeah. and they're telling them all this stuff. It seems like maybe what I'm hearing you say is like some of it is in like, it's in the edit. <laughs> like I need, no, I may have this understanding or I may want to communicate this, but in order to be effective on Saturday, you're going to get 15% of what it is that That's I, it. and I need to pick the right 15% every time. And so maybe it's in, in what you don't say as much as uh, what you do say. Well, that's, and that's the thing, like, you, you know, you're talking again, maybe at the club level, I think definitely at the college level, you have to sell feedback. So you have to add, you have to dress it up with a couple of, you know, real positives and you know, like, you did this well and this was well. But at the player whose awareness is higher, maybe they don't need that. And if they suss out that, you're throwing five things at them just for the sake of trying to get somewhere. Like, listen, get to the point here and what can I take from it? And once you get to that spot, they'll talk to you for, like you can have that conversation, you can go for a week, stop, start, but until you get that spot and think, and then it's understanding where everyone is and how everyone wants that feedback. And I think some people want it delivered at a different time. Some people want it delivered in a different medium, but I think that's a great point. It's, it's editing, it's not, Again, as coaches, we think that halftime tea talk has to last 15 minutes. Uh, Post-game talk has to last 25 minutes. A one-to-one meeting has to last at least 10 minutes. And it doesn't. You can, and I think that's where the challenge is for coaches. That's, that's the one thing that I would like to see coaches maybe test a little bit more in coach education. Like you, how, many, how many minutes do you have to read a game or how many weeks do you have to do the report that they want done? like how can you can you tell that player at the right time the right amount of information that it's going to stick and then back off and then check in again and back off again and it's it's such an art form and there's no spreadsheet or book that's going <laughs> yeah. to you know you have to be aware and you have to be humble enough and you have to be as well patient enough that you know some days that these players are under immense pressure and i think we sometimes overlook that with professional players I mean, and as somebody not only just coaches, but also kind of deals in the coaching education career, I mean, it does seem like you can only get that through experience. So how do you, how do you get, if you don't have access to a, a player who has that level of awareness, who maybe also doesn't, has a much deeper well of understanding themselves, as a coach, how do you push yourself to, you know, be more succinct and edit yourself and not give that information when you may be talking to a player who needs that information. So if you understand kind of where I'm going with it. How do you practice it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Without those players, how do you get that experience? I mean, I think you've got to be super critical of yourself. Well, how can I get more into the conversation by saying less? Can that now be a principle of something of my form of personal communication. I don't know, like there could be a hundred different ways better to do that. I think as a college coach, yeah, you're, you know, that, that's the one thing that I suppose that I looking back and reflecting now in college, the one thing that I, I wish I had have done a little bit more was test the, the top end players. I think if you can get into 
you know, how do you get into their heads a little bit more and how do you just, again, small words, ripples, like not waves. I, I think that's, that's what it is and constant awareness. Um, but yeah, you're right. It takes so much experience. And then of course, everyone is, is different. And then I think with the professional level, the unique thing is everyone's a different background. I think, a, a, yeah, awareness and, and reflection as well, like having the, you know, it's okay for a player to tell you that that was nonsense today, what you're telling me. <laughs> I mean, and that's, it's a, that's a note for coaches and for players, right? At the end of the day is like, in, if, if players want their coaches to be better and coaches want their players to be better, there has to probably be a bit more honesty mm. and there's more honesty and more vulnerability, it seems like maybe at the professional level, even though I, I think maybe I wouldn't see it that way, like my my instinct wouldn't tell me professional players are more vulnerable, but maybe if you're trying to be LeBron James or you're trying to be, you know, whoever the best athletes that are Serena Williams, maybe it, she has to be that much more vulnerable to be that much better. So I don't know, maybe it's a, a situation where, you know, we need more players who hold their coaches accountable as much as we talk about coaches holding their players accountable. That's a great point. Like it's awareness, right? Like it's awareness of, that would be the biggest word that I would use to describe the, the level of players. Like they're just aware of, like they're so physically aware because they're so knowledgeable of the aspects of what they need, what load they need, where their bodies are at. But they're also so aware of what they need as players um, to, to kind of connect the train to the game. That's at a really high level. So, yeah, how do you, how do you? It does challenge the coaches, but again, it's it's the urgency. Like again, we all talk about development as everyone thinks that they're in a development business, but I think it should be accelerated development. Like if we, how can we get a player better tomorrow? How can we get a player better next week? Is there a time? Is time sensitive? Is development time sensitive? And it should be when you're trying to support these players and what they need. Some of some of them, yeah, it's getting the the art of communication that I think as coaches, we never really understand whether things stick or not. Like, and now I reflect like on these team talks. Like, well, because nobody said it was bad, does that mean it was good? You know, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. surely it's yeah. got to be more than that. But. Or, or if we won the game, you yeah, know, or if we won, we won the match. So the halftime talk, you know, must have uh, really done. Yeah, yeah. must have really done the trick. They did exactly what I needed to do. Yeah. Second half, and yeah, it's it's a little bit more awareness of again at, at the pro level, especially with our team. In the, you know, what just the, the respect these players conduct themselves with, and, and humility as well. Like you're saying about the qualities that these players have. They know what they do really well and they know what they don't do really well so they want to for you to help them where they don't and you know their level of when you have conversations about how you get better yeah i think maybe the college players the difference is that maybe we approach we approach it from a lens of improvement so we're focusing on your weaknesses and that's something i've done whereas in the pros you're you're maybe because they're so glaring their positives or their strengths you kind of come out of i don't know I mean, and that's, I feel like that's something that, like, all the players who I've talked to, whether it's Yael or Mal, or they've talked about needing that from their coaches, but they're, 
they how it is that they open themselves up to receive it mm-hmm. which may i mean you know you, you've been at both levels you've done you know you've coached the spectrum it does seem like in college maybe there's a, a little bit of a a lack of openness to the reception that it's that it maybe is taken a little bit more personal in the college game and maybe that some of that is like the maturation of 18 to 22 year olds and you have to go to school and you have you know you're developing young relationships as you go you're just not quite set so maybe that's a difference but it does seem like maybe there's a a bit more of a protective shell around the collegiate player uh, than maybe it sounds like you know from mal and yael and what you're saying is, is that would you say that it was accurate or inaccurate? Or? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a great topic. Like I was listening to a podcast yesterday about someone was talking about Mourinho and how Mourinho's changed his communication in the past 10 years yeah. and how he now struggles with these the, the players that he can't speak to them the way he maybe used to speak to players. And they were talking about how the, the millennial, millennial professional player in England has changed. And I don't know... I, in a college, you can definitely, like, I think it doesn't stick, Clifton, because, not it doesn't stick, I think it doesn't always stick. That feedback isn't maybe as well received because there's not an urgency of that top player to need yeah, that yeah. skill set. I've got a great podcast coming up with Steph McCaffrey, and she talks about that was her college was kind of just the, the noise of social life, the noise of other things going on around her. And, and it's very, very difficult just to take the soccer out of it. And I think at college, yeah, the one, again, thing, a lot of things that I look back on in college, I'm like I probably didn't appreciate the, the perspective of what a full-time player can zone in on the game. And your frustrations at a college coach yeah. is like, couple hours before the game, yeah. I need you yeah. locking in here. Yeah. yeah. So it's the, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. But I think the, the positive stuff, that's the one where I think these players, that would be the difference. Yeah. For, would be the, the positive when you're talking to someone about their strengths and you're trying to get their strengths to a different level. The, the pro player is like, let's get to work on it. The college player is, I'm kind of safe. And maybe that's just society, like, or maybe that's just the way that cultures are structured in college. You go after... College is a bit of a safe place. Yeah. It's, it's not quite the real world yet. It's, you know, so, you have your, your apartment and your yeah. friends and all that so stuff. So he's yeah. not, especially if you're dealing with an intense coach, he's not coming after me today. I must have been okay. But is that okay? Or is that player really striving to become better? And it depends. Like, it's, again, there's no clear answer. But that was when yeah reflecting and i did a lot of comparison throughout the year on different different ways of communicating um i'd like to think i'm a little bit more aware um but there's there's still things that i would go back and do the same college right now but i don't think it would work at the you know they're not it's not transferable yeah Yeah, yeah. that's the maybe that's the best way to put it and it does seem like that's that maturity that you talked about maybe with Mourinho, or maybe he hasn't evolved the evolution maturity is probably not the right word the evolution of like communication and how you go throughout the years it does seem to me i think one thing that like sierra and i have talked about a couple of times is there was a difference in kind of how paul riley coached maybe early on in the portland days and that sort of thing which seems to be 
to have evolved into what we see now as this Paul Riley, as this culture creator who's able to communicate and get the best out of the best players and turn a team into that championship level. So that evolution, certainly, uh, I think you can see it. Where do you see your evolution now then? Like, do you see an evolution coming for you or are you just kind of in the eye of the storm and maybe we can't tell yet, but what, I mean, is that coming for you as moving from college into pro into a more elite player down the road? I feel like I studied coaching for 10, 15 years and I wanted to study players and I wanted to study what sticks with players. And I feel that uh, I'm in a great space to do that because I'm an assistant coach and I can work with them individually. Whereas if I was a head coach, you've still got, you can't come in every day and talk to the players the way yeah. an assistant coach does. And you've got the noise of the pressure of games. Plus, you're the bad guy that has to make those decisions. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I think it's a great point you're saying about Paul. And I don't know, I'll, I'll, you have a better grasp than me about the type of coach he was in Portland and what's changed. But again, do we have a fixed mindset of what coaches are? Like, do we, do we, are we conditioned to think of coaches as just a source of knowledge? And that's fixed yeah, throughout. Right. Because when you look at, like, maybe Mourinho, maybe that'll change us. Maybe he hasn't evolved. Yeah. But when, again, you're looking at Klopp, like Klopp's last year at Dortmund was horrendous. <laughs> and then he takes a, a break. And that's where I would be passionate about. I'm probably more passionate now than I've ever have been about the coaching journey. Not to like again throw cliches or anything, but like it, it really is a journey of finding out more about yourself and putting yourself putting yourself in situations where you're going to be tested, and that could be tested as you know working with a player who has a big reputation, or that could be tested in emailing a coach or phoning up a coach that or interviewing a coach or something like that. And I think that as as a coaching community, we talk about comfort zones. We talk about taking our players out of comfort, yeah. but we don't talk about ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And is the next like generation of disconnect between players and coaches? Is it is it like where it was twenty years ago? It could have been he yelled at me, so I shut down, or she yelled at me, so I shut down. Is the next generation of coach disconnect going to be he or she talks about this? Get out of your comfort zone, but they never do it. Yeah. yeah. So like, are you, do you have to walk your walk a little bit more? And that's where. We all think we're pushed out of our comfort zone. Like I thought I was pushed out of my comfort zone for <laughs> 10 years, but not until you're in at the deep end. Paul has, like Paul's, you, you, you hear, you read, you, yeah. you can just screams it. Same with Mark, same with Rory, people that are now open to building. It's not good enough now enough to build a team. It's got, you have to build a, a group of an organization that yeah. you're on a journey, they're on a journey. And you both appreciate each other. I think that's that's where the it becomes the connection becomes stronger. Maybe that brings more empathy or more vulnerability. I don't know. Like that's where I would like to see. I'd love to step into these cultures that are the the, the top of the top. If you are, you know, Golden State, you you don't necessarily need Steve Kerr on a journey to find out what he, you know. You, you, Greg Popovich doesn't necessarily need to be on a journey all the time. <laughs> and he doesn't seem like he wants to go on any kind of journey by any interview that I've ever heard of Pop. But how do people see their environment? How do people want their environment to be? 
how do you change your environment mm -hmm. when it's not going the way you want it to be? Uh, and so hopefully that's, uh, that's something that people have taken out from what's going on. I think that's where the learning is in, in terms of coaches is like, again, we grew up in an era where it wasn't okay to do, if you disagreed with a coach, it wasn't good. Yeah, never said yeah. But now the players need to voice and they need that connection and they need, they need that at every level today. Like, so you've heard it here, players that are listening. Uh, when you disagree with your coach, make sure to have your coach email Gary. Um, <laughs> right before we close up, Greg Harrington, our first interview, and Gary Kernin, our, our last. So, um, But certainly, like I said, stay tuned for Sean Nehas and his, uh, his, his take on their championship season and how you develop players to embody those traits. So, so stay tuned for that. Gary, thank you so much. Thanks, Clifton. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Love the show the whole way through. We uh, listened to it on the road and we we used it as motivation as a staff when you didn't give us the, oh. the perceived respect that we thought we would deserve. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, Sierra especially, well, uh, you know, she pointed out on, on the every occasion that, you know, her back in North Carolina was always the right way to go. Yeah. And uh, maybe some of my choices weren't always correct. <laughs> uh, whether that's for a debate for another day. But thank you, folks. Stay Great. tuned. Hopefully you've enjoyed the season. Uh, and we will get back to you next year. Welcome back for another episode of the NWSL Rewind. We are at the end of the season now. We have concluded the entire season. It has been an excellent and amazing season, and we wanted to get one more set of guests out here, beginning with Sean Nehas. Uh, he is the girls DA director for North Carolina Courage, as well as an assistant coach with the first team. And they have just completed basically winning everything in the league. Uh, and Sean is here with us today. We appreciate him uh, taking a few moments to talk to us. Thank you, Sean. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate the time uh, spent to, to chat with you on the podcast. Yeah. And so those for those people who don't know you, who uh, don't know kind of where you came from and what you do, can you just give us a little bit of background, a little bit of info on, uh, you know, where you, where your journey has brought you to here? Yeah, no problem. I grew up on Long Island. Uh, you know, I actually started playing when I was young. Uh, I always followed my brother, Damon Footsteps, um, who's currently the assistant coach uh, with North Carolina women's team. Um, and just sort of fell in love with, with the game and, and just took me on a, on a journey that I never really could have seen uh, becoming a reality. Uh, so, I, you know, played club ball at Northport, Cal Harbor. Um, did the whole ODP region teams and all that stuff. And then went to Queens University in Charlotte. Uh, just wanted to go to a small college. Um, wasn't, wasn't really looking for the big colleges like, like people are now. Um, and I just, it, I, I fell in love with it. And then, you know, as, as time went on, I, I started to just grow a passion for, uh, for coaching. You know, I moved back home and, and started really my own little private training company and, um, started volunteering at my my old high school just to sort of get the niche of working with a team and then 
sort of got recognized when I was doing a training session by uh, up on Long Island. There's this, this third-party organization where they, they basically hire you out as a subcontractor. And I started working with a company called Global Soccer Concepts and did that for five years. And I finally just wanted to move back down south, be around my brother. Um, my family moved down here. And at the time, it was the club was called Castle. And Jay Howell was the director and hired me sort of blindly uh, off the recommendation of my brother. And then I just, when I got here, I sort of started just coaching, you know, at the time, premier teams and, and United teams, and then worked my way up um, into the youth, the YTS system, which is the youth train system at the time. And then it was younger girls director, older girls director, ECNL director, and now GDA director. And now it's, you know, uh, I had the opportunity to work with some youth national teams with the 14s, uh, the 15s, the 20s, uh, back two cycles ago, last cycle. Not the previous one, but the one before with Michelle French, where we were, you know, had the opportunity to coach in the U20 World Cup in Papua New Guinea. Um, and then Paul Riley got the job here in North Carolina, and he and I, he and I always talked about wanting to work together. Um, and it just came to fruition, and it's been uh, there's been no better situation than what I'm in right now, and having the opportunity to, one to learn from him, be around him, be around these players, and, and the rest of the staff, Scott Vallow and Nathan Zachary, and uh, just enjoying every second of it. Yeah, I mean, and obviously the uh, the rise of this season, what is being hailed by some, including those on this podcast, is probably the best kind of professional women's season ever in this country. Uh, had to be kind of an amazing experience to to be along for that ride and be a part of uh, you know making that success happen. So, congrats to you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I'm still pinching myself. I'm still trying to figure out this is real, and and you know the the support has been overwhelming. And you know we got back from to the airport, and there was hundreds of people there waiting to greet us. And, and the night night after, we had a gathering um, for all of our supporters and for the players. But you know, having this opportunity to do it with the staff has been great. But just the players alone has been tremendous. They're an unbelievable group of players. It's it's been a I mean from start to finish just a an, an amazing like it seemed like almost every decision that was made was the perfect one and you know all the storms kind of right aligned and everything was uh was you know it, like that doesn't happen very often in in coaching I think is like you you deal with what and I'm sure there was adversity in on the inside that everybody's not really privy to but. Um, certainly from an external view, um, it does look like the, the stars aligned in a way that, uh, the work and the system and everything was, uh, right for you guys to get that win. Yeah. I mean, the stars aligned, but the stars aligned with the players. Um, and that's, that's the key thing. I mean, they, without them, you know, none of this is, uh, is reality. Not, you know, without our staff and the cohesiveness within our staff and the loving care we have for each other and. Um, but the stars are the, are the players, and, you know, we, we do everything for them, and they every day just came to work and, you know, made it, made our job easy, but, you know, also allowed for our younger players to see, to see 
um, top-notch players being able to train and perform at the at the highest level and what it takes to to put it in every day. Yeah, and that's I mean it's something that you see in the the men's and boys setup these days. Obviously, the DA has you know, been going with the MLS academies and it's been much more vertically integrated and you're seeing players go from homegrown status right into their clubs. And, uh, and certainly that visual is helping improve the young boys playing now um, from maybe earlier on when you and I were playing or whatever, you know, like the pathway is just much, much clearer. Sure. You being in the girls' DA now, and it's only the second year, if, if I'm correct. Second year. Second year of the yeah. girls' DA. Um, but we have now more of these that are aligned with NWSL clubs. So as the NWSL clubs grow and, and, and become more attractive for fans, uh, the DA academies have got to be getting more attractive as well to, to in upcoming players. Yeah, I mean, you... you, you you hope that that's where it's going to go. Obviously, it's still a work in progress, and you know there's always different dynamics you got to deal with, whether it's on the boy side, girl side. But I think everything is look. There's a platform for every player. Um, there's great leagues across the board, and um, I just think it's it, the the pathway for a female compared to a male is a little bit different. Um, and, and I and I say that because you know when you when you're looking at a at a, at a female player, their aspirations may be just to go play college soccer, uh, whereas a, a, a voice on the boys' side, it may be to go play pro because things are set up a little bit differently. Um, but I think I think the biggest thing is that what the players have the opportunity to see is, you know, powerful, strong, um, intelligent, well-rounded females in their backyard and having players to look up to because that not something that's common in our country. And I think that piece is the bigger piece than anything, um, you know, because for so long, you, always, you know, you, well, you ask players who do they look up to and they talk about, you know, all the national team players, which is fantastic, but they're not in the backyard um, where they can go see them every weekend. And we're, we're fortunate to be able to have that. Um, you know, we've had a couple of players go in and train with them. We had Tori Hampton with our 19s go in with, uh, with the team to the ICC event down in Miami just to experience it. Um, you know, Mars Josephson, our goalkeeper for the 19, she trains with them every single day. Um, so she's around Sabs and Kate every single day on the team. And they took to her like, they, like she was one of their own. Um, then we've had other players, you know, in, in, you know, last year going in and training with them. But I think, I think it's just having it in your backyard and, one, having the success is massive. Yeah. Um, but, we're, you know, we're, we're fortunate, and hopefully more, more, more of these will be popping up. Um, but we're in a fantastic situation, and you know we we want to continue to build on it for sure. Yeah. So talk to us about like about that building. I, I mean, you are you have a great look, obviously, as the DOC or the director for the academy, um, but also having that integration into the first team. Like you get to see what the end product of that success looks like, how do you then translate that and scale that back to the beginnings of what uh, a developing young player um, needs to do? Like, so what, what is that process of like kind of distilling it down into trying to create or help develop and help inspire those kids to be as good as the players that they're watching in their own backyard? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we have, we have some of the, 
know, we, we like to say we have the best team in the world here. Um, you know, and, and we don't we don't say that loud, but we just feel what we've been able to establish is in second to none. Um, but I think what it, what it does is, you know, being integrated with the women on a daily basis, we are able to take that that model of the work ethic and the and the and the passion that they bring every single day and the quality that they have and the and the setup that they have um, and the and the sacrifices they make. It's no different than a young player. Uh, unfortunately, the younger player doesn't have the opportunity to see that every day, but we do. So you know, we talk a lot about. Uh, you know, we'll talk a lot about the principles at times. We'll talk a lot about, uh, you know, we'll, we'll always talk about the trends and the work ethic. And, you know, we don't necessarily play the same formation because we don't have those types of players. We don't have the Lynn Williams. We don't have the Sam Lewis's and the, and the Sully's and the Abbey's and the Kiwi's. You know, we don't, uh, you know, we don't have them uh, in, within our – but we have some players. But we can still have the same philosophy, the, still the same style of how we want to play. Um, and we take that and we sort of bring it in and mold it into our younger players, just with our words, but more so, you know, with some of the roles and responsibilities that we ask of the players. You know, like we created a roles and responsibilities um, packet for our players and made it equivalent to the pro side. So every player in certain position, in all the positions, got a packet, had the particular player that we felt were their qualities, and now that player can now watch that pro player and, and sort of strive to, to match it or be in that situation. Um, so we, we've created some certain, we've created some things, uh, but it, it's impossible to match. But there are little nuances that we take and try and layer in, whether it's the technical exercises that we do with the women, which is so intricate and detailed, to the possession games or the transition games. But I can tell you one thing: the sessions are intense. Um, and we try and bring that into our GDA players as well. So or do you think that that's, I mean, and you've been at Castle to NCFC to NC Courage, like you've been there for a while. Do you think that now you're seeing an acceleration because of that integration in the development of some of these young athletes? Or is it philosophically, like is the development track kind of staying the same and now, now they just maybe have a, a larger mountain to climb. Um, no, I, I, I see. I definitely see a rise in it. I definitely see. You know, there's there's a there's a different feel to it. You know, and I, obviously with the success we've had, it's, it's easy to, to for people to build on it. But you know, I think we. You know, I like to say this, and I say it all the time. You know, people say, "Oh, you coach on the girl side, or you coach on this side." I don't look at it like that. Or you train, you know, do you train the girls differently than you train the boys? I don't train them any differently than if they were male, female. To me, soccer, soccer, and the game should be taught the same way, whether you're male or female. And I think that's something that we try to bring to our our girl side. I, I just feel that the game of soccer is the game of soccer doesn't change. If I play a board game, it doesn't change because I'm a guy or playing against a girl. It doesn't change. It's still the board game. You still try and do what you need to do and you have, a, you have a vision about what you see the game like and how you want. If I sit on the bench, I want to be, I want to be entertained. Um, so the, 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 the style and brand that we play is no different. And I think that evolution into our um, female side has been, I think, massive. Um, whereas I think in the past, and I think a, a lot of times, it's, it's so resorted to best athlete. Um, and I think that's where the breakdown becomes sometimes. 
and we got to become a little bit more intricate and detailed in, in how we play the game and let them see the game in a different way. And we're able to do that because we have another model, such as the pros, to be able to go off of. And now they have another visual rather than just hearing words. And so is that, I mean, do you find that you're, you're getting equaled or somewhat similar success in your youth teams? Like when you're going out week in, week out to play against some of the best teams in the country, are you getting that, like, do you focus on the results? Do you care about the results? Are you getting results? I mean, what is that week in and week out feel for those young athletes um, to try and recreate that success in an entertaining style of soccer, right? Like, because it might not always be that style might not get you over the hump of somebody who's using six athletes to just kind of, you know, win a yeah. match. And so, I mean, yeah. where's the balance in that and how do you strike that balance? Yeah, no, we, I'll, I'll be honest with you. We, we don't, even with the women, we don't talk about results. We don't talk about, we just talk about the daily development. We talk about the growth, you know, having that growth mindset, you know. Um, we don't talk about the results. We just want to coach and, and see and learn every single day about what, where we need to be um, and where we want to go and the evolution of it from beginning to end. I mean, our last year's U19 team, which is all U17s really, uh, they're all back minus two. You know, they were number four team in the country. They lost one game all season and you know, struggled a little bit at nationals. Um, you know, but you know, we ended up going uh, whatever, 25, three, and whatever, four. Five, I don't even remember. But you know, they're number four team in the country throughout the year, and they're all playing up a year. Um, some of them are playing up two years. So I think. You know, I, I, I like to look at it from not putting the pressure of having to win, and, and people don't like that. I mean, some people will bring it up saying, how do you get them to compete if they're not taught how to win? Well, if, you're in a comp- if, you're, if you know you're going into competition, the objective is to win. But you don't need to talk about it all the time because, you know, I don't, want, I don't ask my players what, what are their goals. Because the moment that they set a goal and it doesn't, they don't accomplish it, they just look at it as a failure. If, I, if, if a player A says, I want to have 35 assists and she has 10, she's going to look at that season as not successful, but that, it could have been so many other things that she was great at. And I think that piece is something that we really try to find a balance because I wasn't always that way. I think so often coaches, they look at results as a, um, a, a picture of them, the coach. So, and I'm guilty of this when I was, you know, still – young and coaching and trying to get, get them, get myself set in, in the, in the field and profession. But they always look at it as a mirror of the coach, whereas if the players get a, a win, they look at it as, well, now that's going to be frowned upon. If people look at it and say, well, that's, that's so-and-so's team. And I've, I've gone away from that. Not to the liking of everybody, but I just feel it's been healthy. Trainings have been better. Um, you know, at the same time, we ask our players to, to, to grow we as coaches have to grow. You know, I have to be better than I was last year um, in order for them to be better. I can't be stuck in my ways. You know, if someone brings something to my attention, I have to grow as well. Um, because by no means are we going to be perfect um, at all. So I just think that side of it's really, really important. Yeah, I mean, and that's how much of the results conversation gets into in the way of that growth mindset conversation that you were 
kind of starting to allude to is like results at the end of the day are a fixed point, right? Win or lose is, is a fixed point. Uh, performance can always be evolving. And so, you know, how much of that growth mind, do you talk about growth mindset like often with your players or, or is that just kind of the philosophy around how you coach them? Well, you know, our, our, our motto or, or slogan for our GDA this year is outperform yesterday. Um, you know, be better than we were yesterday. And then if you're doing that, then you're always going to have this growth mindset. If we come in with the same mentality as we had yesterday and we approach things the same way, then we're not going to get better. Um, and that's something I've really, you know, if you see a, a lot of our players, they put a, a tweet out or whatever from the GDA Twitter account. It's, it's the hashtag of outperform yesterday is used often, or we like to say as much as possible. Um, you know, with the women, it was grit today, growth tomorrow. Um, because we, we always wanted the next day, we want to be better than we were. You know, very often, I, I always tell our players in training, when you step inside the line, make sure that when you step out, you're a better player. One way or another, be better than something that you were yesterday. And then that'll about, if we, each of us do that, we're always going to grow. Um, and I feel that we say it in different ways. We don't talk on the same growth mindset, growth mindset. We, we say things in ways that um, trigger some things. And, you know, we, we're, we're fortunate with the group of players we have uh, with, uh, on, our, on our youth side. You know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a lucky person. All of our staff are lucky. And every day, you know, we always sit back and say, you know what, we're lucky with the kids we work with and the, the respect they have for the game, the respect they have for the program, the respect they have for each other. And I think that part of it, we are molding them into players as well, or people as well. Well, it sounds like the, you know, you could get a whole other you know, a whole other 20, 25 minutes on like setting up that culture and trying to make that uh, the model throughout the club and all that kind of stuff. But I would I would make the argument that uh, outperforming outperforming yesterday is uh, probably a pretty good situation for coaches out there who might be listening to. So, you know, it's something that uh, we've all kind of got to strive to do. I appreciate you coming in, having a bit of a chat with us, Sean. Uh, tons of insight, and it was uh, great to hear from you again. Congratulations on the amazing season, and uh, we look forward to all the things that are coming next year. Uh, I appreciate it, Clifton. Thanks for your time, buddy. Thank you. This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at modernsoccercoach.com.